Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Lions game and a preview of the Ravens game. Justin Lacey's going to stop by with some takes, and Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Week 6 review. Cincinnati Bengals 34, Detroit Lions 11. 4 and 2. We took care of the Lions like we should have. The team has a lot of momentum and chemistry. They're playing hard, they're playing with unity. And now we get ready for two divisional rivals in the next three games. The league is starting to take notice, and this week we have a chance to show them why. All right, let's go over some quick headlines before we get down to the game. So we signed Trey Flowers off of waivers. Seattle waived him. He had 40 starts for Seattle and, you know, was an up-and-down player. I think he had some trouble with the management over there. So I think he's going to be a good addition to the secondary. And I'm glad that we're still looking for good corners and available players out there that can help the team. Deontay Smith tore his meniscus. I think he's going to have surgery and miss a few weeks. And that's a bad break because he was going to get a chance to start this week and show the NFL what he can do. That's going to be delayed a little bit. But I still think he's going to have some value this season and beyond. All right, so let's move on to the Lions game with some observations. So the first thing I wanted to highlight is we scored on every possession of the second half except for the kneel downs at the end. So it's kind of showing that we really come alive in the second half. Of course, you want to play four strong quarters and not have to come back at the end. But in this case, I mean, the way we've been playing recently, we're scoring at the end of halves, and we're going into the second half, and Burrow and Chase are lighting it up. So that's good to see. It's going to lead to a lot of wins. And back to the defense, 38 yards rushing. I mean, we're just stopping everyone on the ground. Another big key, because teams can't just hit you on time of possession and, and hold the ball and grind you out. We're just getting them out. It's we're, we're forcing them to throw, and it's been working. And then on the other side of the coin, first half, Jared Goff had 38 yards passing. I mean, he, he didn't look good at all. He missed some open receivers. We were pressuring him. You know, a lot goes into that, but I was not impressed. And, and he ended up with like 200 yards, but a lot of that came as junk time at the end when we're playing like a prevent. You know, we had our backups in there for – you know, the last like eight minutes of the game as well. And I saw the stat, 11 straight coin toss wins. I I don't know how long that can continue, but it's been an edge every time. Every game we're deferring and getting that double dip. Twice in overtime we win the toss, so that's good to see. I hope that continues as well. That's something you really can't control, but luck has been on our side. And, you know, if you think about injuries this year, not too many major ones. And some other teams are getting hit pretty hard. And that's a lot of what it takes. We've had some good teams in the years past, and injuries have devastated us. And this year, we're kind of getting lucky with the coin tosses. We're kind of getting lucky with the injury bug, as they say. So, you know, I'm crossing my fingers. If if both of those things continue, you know, we're going to go where we want to go. Panay Sewell did not look good. Hendrickson was schooling him. In addition to the sacks, it was the pressures, the holding calls. You know, a holding is the equivalent of a sack. It's a drive killer. It really reinforces the Bengals' decision to go with Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell because Jamar Chase is changing games, as I've said before, and he's contributing to wins. 
And another key component is not letting offenses get momentum early. So the first two series for the Lions, we got them on three and outs. So that does a couple things. One, it's no time of possession. You're getting the ball right back. And two, that frustrates an offense. You know, a lot of those plays are scripted. And, you know, you get them on a couple three and outs, you now destroy that script. And now they start adapting on the fly. And, you know, you outcoach them, outplay them, and, and you win the ball game. We also use the strategy of having them return kickoffs, and it seems to be working in the NFL this year. You know, with the touchback, you get it on the 25. I mean, all these teams, I'm seeing everyone take it out of the end zone or grab it at the 1, and no one's getting to the 25. You see more stopped short of the 25 than you see go beyond it. And I think we might have seen something in their kick return game because, you know, obviously McPherson can boot the ball through the end zone, especially in an indoor stadium like the Lions have. So it was an intentional move to kick it left and let him grab it at the one or two and pin him, and it did work. So the Bengals got tagged with kind of stalling on offense, even by the guys that were commentating the game. After the first touchdown, we had kind of a lull until the end of the half, and I'm going to explain what happened on those drives. So there was four particular drives after we scored the touchdown. So on the first one, we had one first down, but then we had the two penalties on Trey Hill, the holding penalty, and as I said before, holding is a drive killer. That's 10 yards right there. Five more yards on the false start. So that was kind of a snake-bitten drive where you're giving away 15 yards in, in penalties. So that killed drive number one. Drive number two, same thing. Reef had a holding call on third down. It became a three and out. The third drive, we were on a third and two. And then Burrow gets sacked with that guy coming in unblocked. A mistake by the offensive line there where they all shifted left. And they left one guy on the edge coming in. No one picked him up. Another three and out. And then the fourth play, we had that little debacle on the right side with the receivers. Someone ran the wrong route because it was like Higgins and Chase were both there and the ball kind of went at both of them and neither one of them caught it. So there was just a mistake by one of the receivers there and that ended up in a three and out. So, you know, you take those four drives, a couple penalties, a sack, and a mental error, and those are four unsuccessful drives. We cleaned it up the rest of the game. Going into Baltimore, we can't make those same mistakes, though. We really need to play a penalty-free game against them, and it's going to be tough because they have a great front seven, or actually more a great defensive line and pass rush, and there's going to be temptation to hold them. I mean, hold them if they're going to tag Burrow. I don't, I'm behind that, but it needs to be a penalty-free game against the Ravens if we're going to win that one. And then we continue to run those multiple tight end sets and Isaiah Prince, and that's really helping Mixon in the running game. You know, you're, you're matching up power against power, and in this case, we won. And then if you go to the end of the first half, again, key to winning games, you score at the end of the half. We stopped the Lions. They got the ball with 147, and they threw a couple passes. I think there was an incomplete and an out-of-bounds. We end up getting the ball back with 121. They only took like 20-some-odd seconds off the clock there and enabled us to mount that big drive, the big pass to chase, and then a field goal, and then go up by two scores. I also wanted to highlight the drive where Uzama scored. That was a 95-yard drive. We got the ball right around the 5-yard line and took it all the way downfield. So that's encouraging to see as well. And that really can frustrate a defense and a team. And I also like the fact that we pulled the starters with 8 minutes left. I was saying that at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I was like, you know what, get Burrow out of there. Get Nixon out of there. And they did more than that. They got a lot of, of their starters out of there. You saw Chase on the side. And you get the backups a chance to get some live action too. So it's a, it's a win-win for everybody. It's good for confidence when your quarterback has the ball cap on in the fourth quarter and everyone's smiling. Excellent decision by the coaching staff. And then the last observation, we almost had the shutout. I was thinking that would be really good for Morales to get the shutout. But, you know, we put in the backups 
And then, you know, they got the junk field goal and, and the, the touchdown against backups and a prevent defense. So, you know, I mean, the shutout's one thing. As long as everyone got out of there healthy and we come out with a big win like that, that's all that matters. But we were close. I, I, I'm sure some of you were feeling that out there too. Like, whoa, a shutout here is a statement. I don't care who you're getting it against. All right, let's go over some key plays from the game. So the first big play was the Evans touchdown. And what happened is we went to no huddle, so we put them on their heels. They couldn't do any substitutions. We had three wide receivers to the right, so the focus is on those monster three receivers that we have. And then you had the tight end and Evans on the left. So it's empty backfield. They're really paying attention to that right side because of all your superstars. What happens? They send a linebacker wide with Evans. Evans just kills them off the line. And you get that perfect lead pass by Burrow. I almost thought it was going to be overthrown. But Evans had that catch-up speed. And, I mean, he made a great play. He made a wide receiver type play. And coming out of college, that's what we were expecting out of him is to have good hands. And that was a perfect example. And that was a really nice catch. The second big play was Logan Wilson's fourth interception. What happened was Hubbard had a pressure. They forced it a little bit. Caught the pass clean, but there's Von Bell to bounce it out, and there's Logan Wilson reacting and being in the right place all the time this year. I mean, he's his instincts have been incredible, and there it was, a, a key interception. You know, that could have been them mounting their way to a 7-7 game, and now you're playing that, you know, that tight game, and that was like, nah, guys, you're not scoring. We're gonna This is our game to take. And then the third big play was the first long catch by Chase, the 34-yarder with 17 seconds left, just showing the league that you can't give us any time. You give this team 20, 30 seconds, and we're going to put points on the board. And what happened there was Chase got a step on his guy, and Joe Burrow did what Joe Burrow does, if that makes any sense. He just dropped that ball perfectly in there. And there it was the big catch. Leads to a field goal, two-score game against an 0-5 team. You know, you're starting to really break them, and that's the way it went the rest of the game. You know, I, th- I think that was the key. 10 nothing and they would never recover from that. Then the other game-breaking play, as we all know, it was the one that was most highlighted in this game. Again, on a fourth and one, we take the gamble and throw a short pass and get some big returns out of it. So what happened here was, it was fourth and one, we fake the jet sweep to Higgins, the whole line swings to the left, and Burrow and Mixon come out to the right. I mean, Burrow didn't even motion to the left. He immediately came out to the right. And that was a blown coverage by them. They, the linebacker should have gotten out there with Mixon. He didn't. Burrow makes a perfect pass. That's a hard catch to make when you're that open and, it, you know, you're kind of turning sideways. Not the easiest catch in the world, even though you think it is. And Mixon executed, and he goes marching downfield. And there you have, like, another game-changing moment with Chase. Almost like Von Bell's hit on Juju, which was just a tone setter, and it kind of defined things and changed things. That chase block was the same thing. That was like, this team is coming to play. And there he was, hustling all the way down the field and knocking a defender on his back and Mixon waltzes in. And if you looked at the sideline, the team was more excited and congratulating Chase more than Mixon. Great play by both of them. And it showed like kind of that kind of unity and the toughness and the never quit and a defining moment for this game and I believe for our season. And then, of course, any long pass to Jamar Chase is a big one. So the 53-yard catch by him, another big play. I thought he was going to break it. I was like, oh, he's got another long touchdown. Give the defender credit for for catching up to him. But Chase was open by like three, four steps on that. All right, let's quickly go through the position groups and their performance in this game. First off, Joe Burrow. I mean, what, what can I say? Another 12 to 15 
accurate, amazing passes. I think he completed 19, but I mean, every game, I, I'm, I can't go through every throw. That's it's just too much. But man, all of these throws are, are top-notch. The decision-making, I don't care. People have him ranked wherever you want, a top 10, a top 15 quarterback. You know how I feel about him. But the decision-making is top five. And he's a second-year player. He hasn't, he, what's he played? 16 games, basically. And he's already on top of the league in decision-making from a quarterback. So again, another great game by him, a 100-plus passer rating again. He's had two or more touchdowns in every game. His voice held up. They, they said they were going to go to the silent count. They didn't need to. And you heard him on the, on the telecast. You could hear him, you know, barking and without a problem. So the, the voice issue, I'm sure it doesn't feel great to him, but it didn't show up on the field. Had a couple nice scrambles. And, you know, coming back from that ACL, you still see he has the speed and elusiveness. Maybe not quite before the injury, but that's going to come back in time. And he was making good decisions. You know, he came, he went out of bounds a couple times. He had the one awkward slide, but at least he got down and didn't take a big hit on that. And if you look at that play, how smart and cool and athletic was that? Where he, he pulls the ball down, turns his body to make a defender miss him, and then goes forward for six yards for the first down. A, an amazing play. That just shows kind of like the the legend of Joe Burrow almost. And then some other things, obviously the chemistry with Jamar Chase. We thought that was going to be the case coming out of college, but we didn't totally know what was going to happen. And you see it; they're they're turning into one of the top duos in the league. And you know, a thirty-four yard deep pass, a fifty-three yard pass, several other nice passes to him. That chemistry is going to take us a long way. And then another throw to Uzama, where he kind of just floats it in over the defender. Another great pass. And then the leadership. Obviously, he's the uncontested leader of this team, and it shows on and off the field. He's someone that people want to follow, and he's someone that people want to play with. And one of the leadership moments from this game was when Mixon kind of banged up. I don't know if it was his ankle or his ribs. I really couldn't tell by his body language. You see Burrow kind of like yelling at him, go, go, get off the field, and I like to see that. You know, Mixon would have probably stayed in there and toughed it out. Burrow was being a leader and looking out for his guy, and that's another endearing trait, and that's another reason why people want to follow this guy. And then as far as the negatives that happened, so he was sacked twice. On the first one, the whole line shifted left like we talked about earlier. They left that edge rusher unblocked. Burrow was able to dodge a really big hit there. It still was a heavy hit, but... I don't know, he turned his body in the right way and kind of rolled out of it rather than just like taking a total killer hit, which it could have been. And then on the second sack, Reef fell down. That's that's all that happened. You know, it happens out there. Your linemen sometimes are going to make mistakes or lose their footing, and that's what happened on that second sack. So on the one pick that Joe Burrow threw, what happened was there was a three-man rush, so he had a lot of time to throw, and then he got a little bit of late pressure from Reef's guy. I guess no one was open right away. Reef's guy comes in. Joe was throwing a few high passes early, and I think that was because he was getting pressure, and that was a case of one of those high passes. It's a little too high, bounces off Chase's hands, they get the interception. That's okay, we rectified that two plays later by getting our own interception. And then it was nice to see Brandon Allen get some work there too, and lead a nice touchdown drive and throw a nice pass to Auden Tate. All right, on to wide receivers. So Jamar Chase, the deep balls, we're going to call it the block now, that's a new big-time Bengal play that we're going to remember for years to come. He's put the league on notice. Every team is going into games game-planning against Jamar Chase now, and I mean, for a rookie after playing six games to make that impact in the league is special. And as I've said in previous episodes, he has that third gear. You know, I know guys got second gear, first gear, second gear, a lot of speedsters. 
he has a third gear and guys don't catch up to it. They don't realize he's that fast, even though they see it on film. It's a lot of things. It's like when Geno Atkins used to play. You know, you see him bouncing around guys, but when you're an offensive lineman playing him, you really don't know the strength until you're lined up face-to-face with him. And this is what's happening with Chase. And back to the receiver group as a whole, just the blocking. They're all being aggressive and blocking. They're not just divas that want to get the ball and not get hit. They're all sticking their nose in there. Higgins had a nice block early on a big mix-and-run. Boyd is always jumping in there, and obviously we saw what Jamar Chase did. So that's another asset when you have wide receivers that are selfless enough to lay blocks downfield. And Higgins, I think he's still coming back from the injury. He's still not totally in full form, I think. I, you know, I noticed some separation issues this game. I don't think that's going to be a problem. He, you know, he, he does run great routes. Maybe some of the routes this game, you know, I saw one or two that were kind of rounded off as opposed to, you know, making those nice hard cuts and the quick change of direction. I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm sure he's going to continue to be a great player and have a great season for us. And I love that he can high point all those catches. So it's really hard to overthrow him. And you see he catches a lot of passes head level or above, and that's hard for, you know, the 5'10", 5'11", defenders to defend against. And then it was nice to see Auden Tate get a touchdown. I, I want to see him more involved. I know a lot of the fans feel that way too, and it's hard. You know, Mixon gets a lot of touches, and you have the trio of wide receivers that are your main targets. There's not a lot to go around, but it'd be nice to get him in there on those five wide receiver sets and get him the ball a little bit. So hopefully he gets some more targets as the year goes by. Because if not, we're going to lose him. Even though he'll, he loves the team and the team's going to be successful, I believe. If he's not getting the ball, he's going to move on eventually. And it's a guy that I kind of want to keep. All right, on to the running backs. Joe Mixon, they're getting him involved a lot in the passing game now. And it's, and it's proving itself. He had a, a big first down and, of course, the big touchdown. He's a selfless player, a team player, plays hard for us, and has a lot of pride in the organization. And then you go to his on-field stuff. He runs with power. He has the jukes, and a lot of guys that are that powerful don't have those kind of moves, and he's been faking guys out, he's been running over guys, and then he has the speed to get away when he does get past everyone. And then just when you think he's injured, you know, Joe sends him off the field, I'm like, all right, Mixon's done. All of a sudden, you see number 28 out there with another 18-yard run. And then Chris Evans, exactly what we thought. They were going to ease him in for the first couple games just to make sure that he, he understood his role in pass blocking. But man, he is a threat as a receiver. And that's going to, as the season goes, you're going to see it more and more after that catch. He's made a couple nice plays in the passing game, and that's going to increase. He's going to be a weapon for us, just like we thought. And it's nice to see this six-round pick already. We're getting returns already on that. And then he adds in a couple nice runs where he was running north and south, which I like to see. You know, he had a little bit of that east-west syndrome. And this game, he solved it, and he was running straight ahead, and that works. And then on top of it all, he throws in... I don't know, like two or three special teams tackles. So just a complete game for Evans and a sign of things to come for him. All right, on to the tight ends. Again, mostly blocking. We ran a bunch of three tight end sets. Sample had the one contested ball that could have been a touchdown. It was tough. It was high. I'm not going to call it a drop. The guy made a good play on it. And then Uzama, he comes across the formation from right to left. And that's hard to defend. Even with a, a quick defensive back, when you're a big body like that, you have the edge. And he did it yet again across the formation. Burrow hits him perfectly. Another touchdown. This is going to be one of the plays that I'm going to suggest that we do against the Ravens. Then the offensive line played pretty well. There was some pressure early, but I think they settled down. And I'm seeing that a lot. I'm seeing that with Jonah Williams. He's playing excellent games. It's like the first drive or two, he seems to make a mistake and then settle down. So 
it's good to see him playing very well. Hopefully he can he can come out of the gate a little bit stronger, especially against Baltimore and Cleveland. But I, I think overall he's starting to prove himself worthy of that first-round pick. Trey Hill had a little bit of a rough game. You know, it's his first game, so you can expect it. I think he played better in the second half than in the first half. They pulled him after the two penalties, so that's showing that the coaching staff is not going to let you make too many mental errors without doing something about it, and that's good. You know, that sends a message to the guys. We'll put up with some physical mistakes, but not mental mistakes. And I think that Quentin Spain is playing exceptionally. He's getting to the second level. He's playing tough in there. He's not letting guys in. He was our best lineman last year, and he's in the in the hunt for that this year. Kind of silently. You don't really notice him that much out there unless you're watching for him. But next game, take a look. He's playing really, really well. And I thought Trey Hopkins had a good game, and it was nice to see they got him some rest there at the eight-minute mark in the fourth quarter. All right, so let's move on to the defense. Defensive line, I just I keep saying the same things because they keep showing through from game to game. Hendrickson is a game wrecker. He destroyed Hawkinson on that first sack, just went right through him. And he was getting held a bunch, which again is like a sack. And then he has the other sack, which is what he did with the Saints, that hustle sack. He, he was out of the play, never gave up, and he comes from behind. He almost killed Jared Goff on that and almost had the strip sack on there too. And then what I keep saying about the interior... Reader, Ogunjobi, Tupo, B.J. Hill playing good when he's in there. I think Reader has a shot for the Pro Bowl. If if the team does well and goes into the playoffs, he, he should get some Pro Bowl recognition. He's playing on that level right now, but it's hard as an interior lineman for Cincinnati to make the Pro Bowl unless your name is Geno Atkins. And I thought Hubbard had a sound game as well. I like that one chuck on the running back. You don't see that that often. The running back's trying to get out into the pattern, and Hubbard just knocks him back like five yards and so Hubbard moves on to go after the quarterback. The running back is thrown way off his route and way behind in the timing and where he is on the field. On to the linebackers. Logan Wilson is showing the instincts and the range. Obviously another interception. Another guy playing on a Pro Bowl level. It might be another year or two before he gets there, but he's playing exceptionally. And Pratt is showing range and toughness like he has been. Davis Gaither is becoming that nice complimentary third down linebacker. He shows a lot of hustle out there, always moving towards the ball. And it was nice to see Marcus Bailey get that tackle in space. He doesn't get a lot of snaps from scrimmage, but in this case he had the chance to, and he performed. On to the defensive backfield. What are we doing with this Awuzie? I mean, the coverage, the tackling. Even when he lets up a pass, it's highly contested. He also had that one play where he, he got up in the air like dunking a basketball and knocked knock the pass away. A valuable addition that is just really lighting things up in the secondary for us and getting everyone playing better. I mean, you put him in the secondary with your bell and your baits, and that, that's a big-time secondary that we have there. Hilton, you know, Hilton with the pressures this game. Eli Apple had a solid game, which was nice to see. Maybe he's feeling a little pressure with them signing Flowers. And then Bates and Bell. I mean, they're always around the ball. They're both all over the field. Bates had that nice blitz on third down. It was a 7-0 game at that point, so it wasn't just like we were teeing off on a team that was down. It was a close game, and he just comes in, times it perfectly, gets a nice clean hit, and forces them to not get the third down, and we get the ball back. So it's plays like that that really contribute, and like I said, this whole defense is playing worthy of a top five. And then on to special teams. They pulled Darius Phillips from punt returns because he didn't go north and south again. He was dancing around back there, and, you know, they're they're not going to continue to put up with it. Same thing. You know, that's a mental error. That's not a physical thing. And they're not going to put up with repeated mental errors. He's been doing it a lot. I still believe in him as a punt returner, 
Maybe them pulling him this game is going to send the message and he's going to start hitting it more north and south. And then they put in Trenton Irwin. You know, he was reliable in there. No real big returns, but not a liability. So at least we know if, if Phillips is going to have his issues, you can stick a guy like Irwin in there and he's going to not hurt you. And then McPherson had the ricochet off the goalpost on the opening extra point. And I know everyone was like, oh boy, is does he have the yips? Is, is he going to be in trouble? And then no, everything after that was just a perfect kick, like sailing higher than the uprights. So it seems like he's back to form and we're going to need him. I thought Huber had a solid game. Again, when you have more inside the 20s than touchbacks, that's a winning game for a punter. And this game, we let up a little more return yardage than normal, but still we contained them and it wasn't an issue. And that's an anomaly because the special teams units have been mauling people all year and not letting up too many big returns. So the Lions got lucky on a couple but that's not going to be a trend for other teams. So that's it. A winning effort, 4-2 and two on the path to the playoffs, putting the league on notice. All good stuff. You couldn't not smile being a Bengals fan after this game. It was, it was a really good moment. The locker room was electric after and getting a big statement win like that. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? Feeling great. Feeling amazing. How about you doing, Frank? How I know. You doing? I'm doing the same way after that game. So what are your thoughts on the game and where the Bengals are at at this point in the season? Well, the thoughts on the game is a very business-like win. This should have came in no surprise. They play like the better team from start to finish. This is a process. I've alluded a lot of times where I said that we need to trust the process that we didn't come into the season with super high expectations. But after this win, enjoy the process. This should be a moment now that we can now enjoy the process. Forget the expectations. And this is great. This is great. And I was very impressed with how the Bengals just flat out owned the Lions yesterday. I can't wait to see more of it. Yeah, I'll tell you, it could have been one of those games that was a trap game and, you know, you, you kind of play down to your opponent in their building and, all of a sudden, the season starts going a little bit south on us, but that obviously wasn't the case. It definitely wasn't. And you know what? A couple of national media writers said that, too, that be on lookout for a potential upset if you're a Bengals who go going against the Lions. The Lions are hungry. Like, did we not just forget about what happened two years ago, even last year alone? This Bengals team was in the same position like the Lions are this year. And, and let's say that we were in the Marvin Lewis era of previous years. I still don't think that we tend to put ourselves on high alert all the time because we have PTSD as Bengals fans of being disappointed and losing games like that. But even Bengals teams in the past would have rose to the occasion and got a good win like that too. Maybe not like a dominant fashion like we did yesterday, but let's not lose sight that there was people that have doubted the Bengals before in years past under the previous regime, under the previous quarterback, and they flat out just won. But there are still going to be those times where we always highlight the negativity and things. And I get it. You know, as diehard Bengals fans, we get it. We always tend to put the bad, the heartbreaking, the failures all the time, too. But, yeah, that's, that's one, of the, one of the stigmas that I do want to try to work hard to eliminate at times because it's not always about the trap game. I didn't see anything. I didn't see no role potential work. I didn't really see any path to victory for the Detroit Lions that the only way that the Detroit Lions would have won yesterday is if the Bengals would have had a massive meltdown and then just broke everything apart from everything that they built. 
No, they were the better team from start to finish, and they showed it on the field yesterday. The mindset of this organization right now is exactly what Joe Mixon stated in the locker room after the victory. He pretty much described basically what it means to be a Bengal. It's a physical, hungry, accountable teammate that's going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. I What I saw from the game was Jamar Chase's block on Mixon's touchdown. Like, Jamar Chase's block was more impressive than the touchdown in and of itself. That right then and there should show you the example of why the Bengals made the decision that they've made dating even back to free agency. But before the draft, when we had these conversations about Team Sewell, Team Chase, about all of this, that block alone is a microcosm of the bigger message that we were been, we've been trying as an organization to send this whole entire time. It's not about picking a wide receiver over an offensive lineman. It was always about picking someone that creates and generates the greatest amount of value as the player. That player just happens to be Jamar Chase, who plays wide receiver, to connect the team in its entirety. And that's why it stems back to what I said previously on a previous question. Enjoy this process. Things like that are going to happen more and more. And Jamar Chase, that block alone just made me forget that he even had a drop that led to an interception. I didn't even care about it because I know things like that is going to happen. But that block alone just illustrated exactly why the Bengals have been making the decisions they've been made, and especially within the last two years in this new regime, this new era. So a big, physical, hungry, accountable teammate that's going to do whatever it takes to get the job done, that's what Cincinnati football is. That's what it means to be a Bengal football player. When we talked off air about the Steeler way and the Patriot way, you know, it was always a running theme with those organizations that when you identify players as coming out of college, you know, there were always pundits and experts that say, oh, this person just looks like a Steeler. Oh, this person just feels like he's a New England Patriot. Oh, this guy looks like he'll fit well with Baltimore. But you never really had that as an identity for the Bengals. If we were to try to say, oh, this person feels like a Bengal, man, they will laugh. Because... We've, our history has not shown that we can formulate an organization and a directional approach that we can build something special even here in Cincinnati. People look at Cincinnati football like it's a joke. But now we need to start taking this seriously as fans that there is an identity within the organization. And we should have been taking it seriously from the beginning. But I also understand that the organization had to take a much more serious direction and to evolve with the times and be a little bit more forward thinking to take us seriously when we talk about winning football on a year in and year out basis. What would you say to the team heading into the Ravens game? What, what advice would you give or what would you say to the fans? You know, what, what's, your, what's your take heading into this really pivotal game for this season? Don't make Baltimore bigger than what they are. They're a great team. They are a team that is a team that I feel like they'll contend to the Super Bowl. I actually had Baltimore pegged as the team from the AFC to represent the conference in this year's Super Bowl. But if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you need to feel like that you can be one of the teams that can give Baltimore fits and give them a loss, too, because you're right there, too. Everybody talks about Lamar Jackson and how he's grown so much as a player. And, man, he I give – Baltimore a world of credit for what they've done with Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson of it himself of putting the work in to become the player that he is now but you also have a quarterback your own that you believe in you're building within and that he's putting the work in too and Joe Burrow 
he just understands what it takes to win games. That's where it starts. Number two, you've lost to this Baltimore Ravens team so much with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, you haven't beaten them yet. However, don't look at it from Lamar Jackson's standpoint because that's what you're doing is making him bigger than what he is, and he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but because you, as a Bengals organization, have always traditionally had the Baltimore Ravens number in years past. We Don't forget, we beat guys like Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, you can't forget about Ed Reed, Samari Rowe, Chris McAllister, Haloti Nada. Man, those guys have all-world talent, all-pro talent, a couple of Hall of Famers out of that mix. But Marlon Humphreys is nowhere close to what Ed Reed ever was. He's a great player, but you don't need to go into that game of fearing him. You respect the Ravens, just like Pittsburgh. You respect the team. You respect the great players that they have. Lamar Jackson's on the MVP rampage, but you do not need to fear them because you have a great team in your own right that you can hang and beat anybody at any given moment. And that's the message that I'll tell the team. Now, to the fans, once again, keep it simple. Stop fearing Lamar Jackson. Stop marveling at the eyes of Lamar Jackson that you forget that you got players on your own team that you can marvel at too. Look what Jamar Chase is doing. This dude is being in the conversation says one of the best rookie wide receiving seasons along with Randy Moss, even his old former LSU teammate, Justin Jefferson. These are so many great things that we already are building here in our organization that we just need to stand firm and stand pat on. And when Lamar Jackson comes into town, he's going to be the subplot of the original plot. And that's great Bengals football. I hope the players are listening to you, man. That's definitely motivational. And I agree a hundred percent. Justin, how do people find you on social media? I am on Instagram. Juddy13 is my hashtag username, uh, J-U-T-T-Y 13. And we just need to truly believe that no matter what happens this upcoming Sunday, we just need to know that we're in this thing for the long haul. Week 7 Preview. Cincinnati Bengals at Baltimore Ravens. First play, we have our three wide receivers to the right. We have Uzama lined up on the left, Mixon in the backfield. We send Higgins in motion, and we do a nice pitch sweep to Mixon to the left side, let him run to the boundary. Hopefully we get like four or five yards out of that. If there's a missed tackle, it could be a lot more. Second play, similar formation. Let the defense get aggressive. They want a piece of burrow. You know, they have a good pass rush. They want to make a statement. We let the defensive line come in. Another little screen pass to Mixon. Bangs downfield for a first down, if not more. Third play, we send Uzama across the formation again. He's lined up on the right, and he goes right across the field to the left, has a linebacker or a defensive back trailing him. Burrow hits him. Another big play. And then after that, after we get our first first down or you know we're near midfield or beyond, you go right back to Mixon another time or two. Time of possession is going to be key this game. We need to keep Lamar Jackson off the field. And we'll introduce our wide receivers as the game goes by. I say we don't come out high-flying and passing right away. We don't want to give those fresh defensive linemen a chance to tee off on Burrow right away. So we'll start slightly conservatively. And that's assuming if the Ravens go up 7-0, maybe you change things up and we go a little bit more pass-heavy in that first series. But I think that first series should be a real big feature for Mixon and try to outpower them and, again, have time of possession, move the ball down the field. All right, on to some offensive strategy. So the Ravens have a very good defensive line and good pass rushers, and they have two really good safeties, and they have one really good corner. 
So there's a couple areas where we can pick on him. The linebackers are a little bit weak. Patrick Queen was a high draft choice. I wanted the Bengals to draft him. He hasn't totally been panning out. He makes a big play here and there, and they like to spotlight it, and you think he's having a great year. But if you look at him on an every-down basis and the numbers, he's very vulnerable. So how do we attack these linebackers? There's a few things that you do. You want to throw some screen passes. I like the idea of doing some draws, tight end passes. Those are all things that can go after the linebackers. So I think this is a game where we use mixing a lot. I think this is a Chris Evans game as well. You know, we isolate him on Queen. Forget about it. And then Uzama. I think it's another way to eat up those linebackers is getting the ball to him. He's been showing good hands and good route running and good speed. That could be another mismatch too. So I think those are the three key players in attacking the linebackers. And then the other key is isolating your great wide receivers on these corners. You have Higgins probably with Averett covering him most of the time. So you want to take advantage of that and isolate them one-on-one, and Higgins wins that battle. You have Tyler Boyd versus Tavon Young. That's a mismatch there. You want to try to isolate that. I don't know if the Ravens have Marlon Humphrey follow the number one receiver. I think it would be smart if he followed Chase all game, but you can't be afraid of that either. Marlon Humphrey is a top corner in the league, but Jamar Chase is a top wide receiver, and you, you can't just dodge that matchup and say, we're not going to throw at Humphrey. No, you know what? Get Chase started, because if, if Chase starts eating up Humphrey... That's going to break that secondary. So I think all of our wide receivers, no matter who's covering them, let's get them isolated in one-on-ones and eat up this secondary. It's very possible to do if we do it right and have the right scheme and the right play calling. Concerns? Wink Martindale killed us last year, so they're going to go back to that tape and see what they did against us, and we need to go back to that tape and see what they did against us and try not to let it happen again. He's a great defensive mind. His pressure schemes are, are incredible. And, you know, they've been working all season for a 5-1 and one Ravens team. So we're really going to have to be conscious of him. And he's another one who makes those great second-half adjustments. So this is going to be a real test for our coaching staff coming out of the locker room. And then, obviously, what we talked about in the secondary, you have Humphrey, you have Chuck Clark, you have Deshaun Elliott, two highly rated safeties that are playing well. And then the entire defensive line, I I mean, I I went through it. I couldn't believe all the guys that they have there. Campbell's playing really well. Then you have to worry about Bowser, Houston rushing from the edge. Owa is playing well as a rookie. Williams is not having his best year, but he's always been pretty stout in there on the inside. And then Matt Ebuke is showing up too. So there's a bunch of guys up there that can give you trouble. And we're going to have to win on those matchups on the offensive line or else it's going to be a long day. It might help with having some multiple tight end sets in there too to assist with some blocking and again go after those linebackers. When we're on defense, it's going to be up to the safeties and all three of our linebackers to stop Lamar and Andrews. Those are the big weapons for them. Lamar just changes games and at any given moment he can bust off 20-30 yards and get your morale down you know when you're holding a team and all of a sudden the quarterback makes a big scramble like that that that's frustrating and you see they're doing it to everybody so there's a lot of danger in those two guys Andrews is I think the top rated tight end in the league right now so we we need to be sound against him too and you know Bates and Bell they're they're playing so well right now we could neutralize Lamar if if you know those guys perform as they have been performing maybe Hilton's a big factor in that too And then, of course, like I mentioned, the linebackers, Wilson just needs to keep playing fast like he is. Same thing with Pratt. And Gaither's going to get his shot in there, too. And he's one of those fast linebackers that could be really key in stopping Lamar on like a third down scramble. And then when you go out to the wideouts for them, 
Brown is the only one. I don't even know if Watkins is playing, if he's banged up, but it seems like Hollywood or Marquise Brown, whatever you want to call him, is the one that's been the favorite target on the outside. And I think this is a game where you just have Awuzie follow him. So you focus the interior guys on Lamar, you focus Awuzie on Brown, and you know you challenge him to throw to the other wide receivers. And I think another key is Hendrickson dominating Villanueva. And Villanueva's had an excellent career, but it seems like he's at the end and he's not playing that well. So this could be a big matchup with Hendrickson playing the way he has been playing against a struggling left tackle. And I think that goes for the whole left side of their offensive line. I think it's a little. I think they're stronger on the right side. So we want to attack that left side. And with Ogunjobi and Hendrickson, I think we're going to have the matchup edge there. So that could be very good for us in this game. Concerns are big plays early. Like, the Ravens can get off to a fast start. I don't want to see, you know, them march down the field on the first drive, 7 nothing. We come in, you know, we go on a 3-and-out or something really negative happens like that. That's how this game could easily get away from us. So I think the key is to playing very good defense early and not letting the Ravens hop out to any kind of big lead. And then the players that we talked about, you have Lamar, Andrews, Brown. Those are guys to worry about. Ricard, I think he's a deadly fullback in there, too. The running backs, Latavius Murray, you know, he's doing all right. He's not he's not like a Joe Mixon-type threat, but he can hurt you, especially if you get some nice blocks from the fullback. Prediction for the game? Three Bengals touchdowns, three Bengals field goals, three Ravens touchdowns, but only two Jason Tucker field goals. Bengals win late 30-27, first place in the AFC North, and now the whole league and the whole world is on notice we are here, and we're going to win this division. McLevy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLevy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frank. How you been, bud? All right, my friend. So what are your thoughts on everything? Wow. I mean, first off, the, the football being played in Cincinnati is phenomenal. Hat, you know, Hats off to the Bearcats, number two in the country hopefully, probably, going to be in the football playoffs. You have four to six players on that starting units that are NFL-quality players. So hats off to Luke Fickle for really delivering a quality product in university level. And with the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, this weekend, Frank, against the Lions, they played the best ball we've seen in a while. Was it perfect? No. But, you know, Detroit previously played teams tough. I mean, they, they took the Ravens where Tucker had to hit an NFL record field goal to beat them. And, you know, we went in there. Offensively, we were productive at all spots. Joe Mixon running the ball, running hard. Uh, the receivers... And Jamar Chase doing that downfield blocking for Joe Mixon to get that touchdown. This team is is starting to come in of age defensively, solid all around. They give the money to Trey Hendrickson. You know, he's producing. The rest of the defense really stout against the run. Linebackers are playing phenomenal. Wilson active. Rougier, he's playing all pro level. Really, this team is peaking at the right time. And Frank, we said last week before the break, we go three and one. This week coming up is key. This is where 
it'll show where we stand. I really feel confident the line is giving just enough holes for Mixon. And that was the area we were concerned about. This is a big game, Frank. We always go to Baltimore playing pretty tough. With the other games left, Jets, Cleveland's a big disappointment. They do not impress them. You know, last week, Frank, we were talking about going 3-1 and one before the break. and we just, I'm confident. I mean, even Zach Taylor's doing a pretty good job at play calling. Sometimes they drift, but otherwise, you know, we got the weapons. So going into that bye, I mean, if we, we were hoping for 3-1, and one, I'm going for 4-0, and oh, Frank. And that would put us in a totally different stratosphere in the AFC. There was an article today in the Inquirer saying, should we buy in? And that's the big question. You know, we always get hyped when they start winning. And, you know, but this time with Joe Burrow, I'm buying in and I'm feeling good going in Baltimore this weekend. So, Tom, let me play devil's advocate. So what if we lose to Baltimore in the next game? I mean, that's not what I want. That's not what I predict. But what if that happens? How do you feel about this the next slate of games after that, if indeed we end up going four and three. Okay. But I don't want a loss like what happened last year in Pittsburgh, where we just got blown the hell out. That will, you know, uh, same old Bengals. I feel confident going into this week that we have weapons that Baltimore cannot stop. If we want to do what you said, we lose to Baltimore. We got to win the last two at Jets and Cleveland. You know, we were hoping for 3-1 and one like we said last week, but I'm shooting 4-0. and oh. if, if we do lose to Baltimore, which I'm hoping that we don't, as I said, and we end up going 6-3, and three, how do you feel that fares for us after the Fine. bye? I mean, no, six wins at the break, at our break, with a couple of losses there, Green Bay and Chicago, that were winnable. So, you know, six and three, I'll take it. But seven and two sounds a hell of a lot better in first place. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently four and two and in second place in the AFC North. They trail the five and one Ravens, and they're ahead of the three and three Browns and the three and three last place Steelers. The Bengals are currently the fifth seed in the AFC, even though if you went by not counting division winners, they would actually be the second seed. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Ravens game and a preview of the upcoming Jets game, and we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.